Welcome to Ashamed of Thrones, your weekly recap podcast for the uh, big and tasty of a TV show that is Game of Thrones. My name is Doug. With me, as always, is Brian. Throwback with the big and tasty. Yeah, Brian. Uh, did you ever have one? I don't think I did. I think I might have. I had a large white friend whose nickname was Big and Tasty, however. <laughs> yes, I remember that guy. Um, he was. I never uh, tasted him. He was insane. He seemed like a, a character out of like uh, that uh, Sherman, Illinois, you know, like from Chicago. Uh, just big, pale, ginger-headed white guy, uh, glasses, nerdy type. I don't know. He just yeah. seemed like he seemed like he was something out of a movie. I, I didn't. I've never met anybody like him before. Weird dude. Yeah. But <laughs> until you hang out with in college, the weirder the better. Yeah, I think the only thing I remember about the Big Pacey of the Sandwich was it had mayonnaise on it. Mmm, mayonnaise oh, on a burger. I don't know. Oh, well, well, we'll have to wonder about that and Bud Dry because we're never having those again. Um, no. Uh, so we're here talking about episode uh, 10 of season four. It's the last episode of the season. So yeah, this is weird because this is an episode 10 season finale where something actually happens of consequence, a few things. Uh, so it's kind of surprising, and I got to say I kind of enjoyed it. What do you think? Well, I thought this was a really good episode, Yeah, uh, especially, especially normally 10, stink out loud. My only quibble is some of the maudlin touches that they had in the show, some of the show inventions. Uh, it's contrary to the spirit of the books, I think, but still excellent. Uh, really hard to complain about this one. The only big complaint, and we'll talk about it in further detail when we get to it, is the uh, mishandling of Tyrion killing his father. Um, yeah, I feel which, like I've got a bunch of rants to go on, and I, I want you to kind of keep me in check. Uh, all right. But that's the big one, I think. Uh, the title, of course, The Children, has a pretty good amount of significance that we're actually meeting the children of the Force for the first time. And most of the storylines involve children of some kind or other. Uh, the uh, the whoever is adopting Arya for the time being is the fight between the Hound and Brienne, uh, the hiding of the dragons, or putting away the the bad children. Um, so all of it is kind of and obviously Tyrion killing his father. Um, and ironically, this episode was actually aired on Father's Day in 2014. Oh yeah, I remember uh, posting on uh, Twitter something about uh, Happy Father's Day, Tywin. Um, it's good yeah. stuff. But when you think about it, aren't we all children? So doesn't that apply to everybody? Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's the dumbest. Okay, go ahead. We, it's true though. Uh, but the, you know, I I do see these guys. Do you do you feel like they uh, when they come up with the names for the episodes, they try to like make it work on like ten different levels, and they sit on there with like an Excel spreadsheet or like a a whiteboard, going, okay, check one, children. Okay, Tyrion's a child talking to his dad. Do you feel like they do that? Because I feel like a lot of the uh, the episode titles are trying to be deep um, when they don't yeah, necessarily need to I mean, be. No, and a lot of times they're just a line from the show, I think. Um, but I thought this one was pretty uh, – I thought this one was interesting. and It wasn't uh, overly uh, – an attempt to be overly clever, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so either. I just – I feel yeah, like they – just they, fit well. Yeah, it did fit well, but I, I think as a uh, rule that they do that a lot. Um, but uh, who cares? Uh, I enjoyed yeah. this episode as well. Good episode. So let's jump right in. All right, so uh, we pick right up where we left off uh, after the battle at the wall. John heads across the devastation from the night before, uh, while Dolores watches from atop the wall. John gets to the tree line, enters unmolested, and strolls right up to Mance Raider. And uh, John said he was sent there to negotiate. Mance gives John a bunch of shit for being a turncoat or turn cloak, as they call it in the the 
show here. Uh, John says he was always loyal, but to the Night's Watch and his vows, Mance calls bullshit since he was uh, taking Egret to Bone Town. Um, and then John says uh, that Egret died. Um, he didn't kill her, but she ended up dead all the, all the same. They decide to drink to her, and John's a what the alt-right would call a cuck when it comes to drinking liquor. Can't handle it. Um, they talk about uh, the King of the Giants being killed by Gren, just some kid from a farm. Uh, you know, they've both suffered losses. Mance says, you guys fought uh, valiantly, but uh, you guys are screwed. Uh, as soon as I saw you threw everything at me, I sent 400 dudes to climb the wall five miles away, which we asked that last week, but why wouldn't you just do that anyway? Like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, well, it would be a uh, kind of good diversionary tactic. Um, but, so I, I kind of understand it, but now why not send half of the hundred thousand men anywhere else? I, 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 you could, you, you have so many men, you could have sent them all on different like flanks, just like, yeah, climb the wall, the five miles that way, climb the wall, wall five miles the other direction. Um, I don't know. It just, it seems crazy, but, um, regardless, uh, Mant says, um, if they don't let the wildlings through, they're going to kill everybody in castle black. Uh, and then at this point, John starts, eye fucking a knife and Mance realizes that this whole thing was just a suicide attempt by John uh, to assassinate Mance. Uh, and all of a sudden, horns go off. They um, they grab John, thinking that he's responsible for this, uh, but he has no idea what the hell's going on. We cut to outside, and we see that there's a shitload of cavalrymen uh, bearing down on the wildlings. And, uh, you know, horses do what horses do best, and they go into the woods, which... Doesn't make a lot of sense either, but it's still a fucking cool shot. You get these uh, just ranks upon ranks of guys on horses in the snow entering the woods and then pulls back and you see the opposite side, more horse guys coming in and they basically just wreck everybody in the camp and uh, Mance orders his troops to stand down, even though I don't know how he can do that. There's there's 100,000 yeah. people and he just tells like one guy next to him. It's not like they have walkie talkies well, or some 999,600. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't even know. Uh, yeah, I don't. I doubt Stannis could call off his guys either that quick. Uh, but anyway, uh, Stannis arrives, introduces himself, or Davos does, as the rightful king to the Seven Kingdoms, um, and the guy that just boofed their whole army. Uh, Mance surrenders, but he refuses to kneel. Uh, and there is some tension, but it dies quickly as John is there and gets recognized as a Night's Watch guy and son of Eddard Stark. Um, and uh, classic Stannis, he tries to get the measure of John by asking what he sh- like John would do, or John's dad rather, but really John would do with Mance. And John says, "This man showed me mercy when he could have killed me uh, when I was his prisoner. So you should do the same. Take him prisoner and question him." And then John tells Stannis to burn the dead, all of them. So quite a lot happens here. <laughs> Yeah, great shot from Ed's perspective to start out or early in the scene, showing the bodies below uh, and John kind of moving through. I really like the scale of that shot. Uh, also, incredible overhead of Stannis' army getting in there. Uh, I read online that he had approximately 3,000 people, 3,300 people or so, which would indicate, I think he told the, the Iron Bank that he had 4,000, which would indicate he did not hire any cell swords or anything. And at, at first I was taken back kind of by... Um, by the size of Stannis' army because I thought he was kind of down on his luck, but maybe I was conflating it with later in the show. Uh, really, uh, really great reveal of Stannis and Coach when they finally uh, are in front of Mance Raider. Um, but 
how did all these people get through? Like, wh- how, how did they get there? You would think there'd be some kind of scouts. I don't know. Yeah, they in the book they land at uh, East Watch by the Sea, I believe. Uh, okay. Whatever the because there's in the book there are three Night's Watch towers that are currently being manned. In the show, right. they kind of don't even acknowledge the other two. But yeah, basically there's Castle Black, which is somewhere in the middle, more towards the east, but somewhere in the middle. Then one on the west coast and one on the east coast. Um, and the one on the east coast is where they landed uh, and made their way overland um, to to get to, to here. Uh, but I feel like they, they really downplayed this because Stan uh, in the book, Stannis, because of Melisandre's vision, but he also Davos, Coach Davos is uh, prodding. He says that He's been trying to uh, take the crown uh, to save the kingdom when he needs to save the kingdom to get get the crown. Essentially, basically, he needs to do something for the people, um, and this yeah. is this was him doing it. And you know, he's stepping up and being the protector of the Night's Watch when the Night's Watch sent ravens to everybody asking for help, including you know the Lannisters, every house, and nobody sent anybody. And and Stannis is the one guy who who stepped up and is actually. I mean, we all know that situation that the wildlings are in trouble too, and they're just people trying to protect themselves. Uh, but perception-wise, uh, you know, Stannis is kind of being a hero here. Uh, I don't want to go on a Stannis rant about how the show mishandled him, but uh, I feel like that could have been played up better. Yeah, absolutely. And but then again, I think he part of it was an ulterior motive where he thought he'd be able to recruit the Night's Watch people and then also the wildlings to fight it in his army as well. So it wasn't entirely uh, altruistic, but I think it was largely altruistic. Yeah, it definitely was not all altruistic, but um, you know, it might have just been a clever slogan. Uh, but still, it, yeah. you know, it, you know, it doesn't really. I don't believe in altruism, uh, but we can get into that later. Uh, I prefer not to. <laughs> but yeah, overall, uh, I, I, even watching this, uh, it would have been a reveal. Like, uh, obviously, I knew who it was, but. I couldn't make out those banners when the horse guys first came in there. So no, it was a great reveal. And if you're a casual watcher, you don't know what the banners are anyway. Yeah, you're like, what the fuck? Um, it, the only th- the only quibble with this scene is it just shouldn't there be like at least uh, well, okay, we actually said the number three thousand. So there should still be like thirty northerners to every one of Stannis's people. I I don't understand the uh, the scale of it. I mean, and they got punked so quick. It just they Stannis's people were were just wrecking every single one of the northerners. And I think the Northerners are supposed to be kind of fierce warriors because they had to survive in the tough, uh, yeah, I tough mean, land. So yeah, yeah I, I mean it's it's quibbles, but it's if you, it, it did kind of pop into my head while I was watching it. It 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 did seem. I mean, uh, Mance says he has a hundred thousand people. I didn't get a sense of that, even when I mean there were those shots. I guess in season maybe yeah. three where they showed the entire camp like below a glacier or something but uh i feel like we didn't get a sense of how many people were there now or how many people were making their way to the wall and i understand cgi budgetary concerns but i agree yeah i mean a hundred thousand people you would think and once again uh cavalry don't go into the woods i mean not in ranks like that you can't there's there's trees in the woods so you can't really run uh, run really fast on a horse or or stay in formation. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but we don't want to pick this apart. Yeah, Overall, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a solid scene. I think that Mance, it is. Mance as a whole, what do you think about him? I feel like, you know... I go back and forth on him. Uh, he just kind of seems... Uh, kind of seems like a little bit too much of a weenie to be leading the Northerners at times. 
Um, but I do like his general disposition and, um, you know, how he's, you know, I was honest with you. Why weren't you honest with me? Kind of the back and forth. Um, he does, even though he is kind of a weenie, he does seem to put principles ahead of everything. Yeah, I feel like he doesn't represent the the man that's in the book, but uh, he does a good job being regal. He did a great job in uh, Rome as Julius Caesar. Uh, it's another yeah. guy from Rome, just like last week. The, the head of the Thens was from Rome. Gotcha. No, he wasn't. But All right. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, so next we go to uh, King's Landing. Kyburn, Picel, and Cersei are examining the half-dead mountain, who we assume has been poisoned by the viper, although I don't know that the show does a good job of translating that, um, because uh, the reason that he's known as the with the red viper, I think, is because of uh, or Oberon is known as the red viper, as he's known for his use of poisons and knowledge of poisons. Uh, Picel thinks uh, Gregor is dead and might as well let him go. Meanwhile, uh, Kyburn thinks that he can save save the mountain to Pycelle's disgust, and uh, Pycelle kind of recounts how Kyburn was kicked out of the Order of the Maesters for being a super creep. Uh, Cersei gives Pycelle the uh, the boot and tells Kyburn to work his creepy magic on the mountain, and we have the scene kind of end with Cersei asking if the transition, transition will weaken the mountain, to which uh, Kyburn ominously says, oh no. Yeah, that was a that was a great moment. Um, show invention, <laughs> yeah. but fucking great, um, absolutely awesome. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think Sir Gregor is? Because I always thought that he kind of died and was almost resurrected instead of just being like kept alive and kind of a vegetable. Um, I don't know if that's a just a dumb distinction, but I've always thought. The former was the case. What do you? How do you envision? Wait, wait, ask, ask this again. I'm sorry. All right. So I always thought that Sir Gregor basically, you know, nearly died or did die, and then Kyborn kind of brought him back to the back from the dead because we have a lot of resurrection going on in the show. I mean, or in the the story, we get John, we get Boro, uh, uh, not what's the guy Thoros of Mir bringing back um, what's his face. So there's a lot of reanimation. So I just assumed yeah. this was another uh, resurrection <laughs> instead of saving Gregor's life. Like I feel like it's not even Gregor anymore. Really, it's almost like a puppet or something, like a zombie. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he is a, a zombie because I don't think we've gotten any signs of uh, intelligence um, in the show. All we know is that he can follow orders to go smash. Yep, Gregor uh, smash. Yeah I, yeah, I don't think he showed any signs of intelligence at all. But I, but we we even question this now. How is he being controlled? Like, does he have any autonomy at all? Like, or is he have, does he have a simple a simpleton's understanding, kind of like Hodor, where he can understand simple tasks, but he's not going to be able to like you know do complex he, ones? I don't know. He can't use tools. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think we know. Uh, I mean, we just. It seems like he is a, a mindless automaton who takes orders well. And doesn't deviate from the orders, although who knows what's going to happen in the next couple of seasons. I think they, they could make that pretty interesting. Yeah, it's 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 shrouded in mystery probably intentionally, but I'm curious about yeah. um, that whole thing. So I think it's interesting. Uh, but yeah, they did show his... Um, I only noticed it this second time watching through. Uh, they did show Sir Gregor's wounds, and they were kind of festering and larger. And I think there were some like boils and stuff on his skin. Um, I didn't look that close. Yeah, I, I think they should have maybe highlighted that. I mean, that would have been a little gross, but this show's not above being gross. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's definitely, Viper definitely poisoned him. So they both killed each other. It's just, um, you know, the Viper died first. Uh, One had a uh, creep. Yes. The other didn't have a creep. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, so next scene, we see Tywin. He's giving uh, Cersei shit because Cersei doesn't want to marry Sir Loras. She keeps bitching about it again. Uh, Tywin says that since Jaime is a Kingar- Kingsguard and Tyrion's about to die, uh, their whole legacy rests on Cersei's shoulders, so she's got to carry the con- do what's best for the family. Um, and, you know, she refuses still, and Tywin says he's not above dragging her into the sept against her will if necessary. Uh, and she says she refuses, and the whole reason is she doesn't want to lose another child. She doesn't want to have Tom and taken from her, um, and that's what'll happen. Uh, she'll go to High Garden with Loras and have to leave Tommen behind, and he'll be used as a pawn between Tywin and Marge, both fighting for control over him uh, until he breaks. Which is which is interesting because that's exactly what ends up happening. But Cersei was part of breaking him. Um, yeah. Uh, that's so that's true. that's fun that that kind of like is uh, <laughs> foreshadowed here uh and then you know obviously tywin's still not about it cersei then threatens to tell everybody the truth about her and jamie um and tywin acts like a stubborn child and refuses to accept the incense the incest uh rather um and there's this weird thing where she's like it kind of it kind of minimizes uh Tywin, or we get to see like some flaws in Tywin for the first time ever, just being uh, willfully ignorant about this subject, refusing to believe it. Um, and this is all show invention, of course. So uh, that's that's how this scene plays out. I want to know what's the point besides just showing Tywin's vulnerability. I don't I don't understand what this scene does. I don't know, um, <clears throat> but I, well, let me start start by saying first of all, I did enjoy her cutting him off and saying another one of your smug stories because that's kind of like his entire persona. Yeah, about you winning or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, no, I don't know. Uh, and this, I think, was part of the botching of the of the murder of Tywin, um, where this would seem to kind of start to undercut his power right. and also make somebody potentially think that he would have to turn around and potentially save Tyrion because now Tyrion's the last hope to carry on the Lannister name and proper um but but we'll, get, that we'll get into that of, debate later um yeah so i mean i i mean i think that might have been the possible goal um but otherwise i'm not entirely sure i, I don't know what the point is I, I, yeah i don't know i don't know yeah it's just is bad considering that we know the show inside and out for the most part and you know they're they're well, we can't discern what the point of a scene is. It's obviously problematic. I mean, it shows, it, it, once again, uh, the show does a bad job of, like, uh, I guess if I had to, like, be generous, I would say it makes Cersei out to be more somebody who uh, is not to be trifled with. But mm-hmm. it does it at the expense of Tywin, which <laughs> minimizes Tywin's just being an effective human being. Um, yeah. And I think I, I hate it when the show does that, when it gives one person a leg up by giving another character a leg down. Um, because Tywin, it also yeah. also jumps in the middle of uh, any potential uh, redemption story of Jamie because they're just back to bang. Oh, God, don't. Quickly. That's the next yeah. scene. Don't get me started. Go ahead and let's move on. All right. So Cersei goes to see Jamie after his exchange with Tywin. Uh, Jamie starts by arguing over the, with her over the fate of Tyrion. Cersei once again blames Tyrion for killing their mother, preposterous. Cersei gives Jamie a weird ultimatum, then gives Jamie a real smoochy and tells Jamie that she's told Tywin no dice to the Loras wedding and she wants to stay in King's Landing, landing and just bang him. Uh, what Jamie kind of says, well, what other people think, she says she doesn't care what, what other people think or it doesn't matter. And then they have uh, gross sex on the table. Well, I don't know if it was gross. 
right. It might have been passionate. I forgot. You're from uh, less civilized uh, parts of the, I'm from the country. the south, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, but uh, I, I just wrote here, Cersei's getting a lot of screen time. I mean, this is three consecutive scenes in a row where she's on uh, uh, taking part. So they're, yeah. they're playing her up. Uh, but I did, I, I don't, so Jamie literally shoves his legacy aside. Uh, yes. The unwritten legacy of the white book that they made a big deal about to bone his sister. And I hate to do it, but I'll keep it to a minimum. This is this is a Doug rant about Jamie again. Like, uh, what are they doing? What's what's Jamie doing here besides waffling? Like, they the story in the book, in the story, even in the show, has set Jamie up to be, you know, go from, you know, worst to first as far as, like, a villain to a hero. Uh, that's definitely what the book's doing, and it's doing that pretty consistently. Here, the show doesn't know what the fuck to do with Jamie. I mean, he saved Brienne from a bear. You know, it gave her a sword, told her to go look for, you know, Arya and uh, uh, Sansa. But uh, here, he's, you know, then he rapes his sister. Obvious rape scene that we've talked about a couple episodes back. Mm-hmm. And here, he just says, fuck, you know what? Fuck the Kingsguard and the the whatever, the sanctity of this office. I'm going to bone my sister. Yeah. Well, I, I guess that's what he's been angling for this entire time, right? I mean, that's definitely what he was doing. But like when he told his dad to go fuck off, uh, it mm. was it wasn't just because he wanted to stay in King's Landing and, and bone his sister. It was because he was finally started to take his vows and his honor um, seriously. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but weird meandering, and it's, uh, of course, show invention, so maybe there isn't a point to it other than they thought this scene might be cool. <sighs> I guess uh, d- that's not the case. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> no, definitely not <laughs> yeah. the case. All right, so Danny, uh, we see we're in Marine. Danny's hearing petitions. One guy's a former slave tutor who says his life sucks since he's been freed. That says he lost all purpose in life. Uh that he now that he isn't someone's property, which is kind of retarded, um, and I think the in the book the slaves just go back to work just at slave labor prices, like uh, they're slaves in all but name, and that kind of is alluded to here. Danny says that he's allowed to sell himself back to his former master, but only uh, on yearly contracts for some reason, uh, and he seems delighted and leaves happy. Uh, Barristan points out that this will be trouble, that the ma- masters will take advantage of this, um, and they will be slaves in all but name. So there you go. Um, and then another dude comes in with a bundle, ranting about something coming from the sky, um, then reveals that the bumble- bundle is full of the skeleton of his three-year-old uh, daughter who's been burnt by Drogon. Um when Danny hears about this, she has her other two dragons, you know, not Drogon, even though Drogon's the one who does it, these other two innocent dragons are being punished for it, and they get locked up uh, in some kind of weird vault, and Danny herself puts on chains as we get some somber music, and the dragons whine like, you know, little puppies. Um, <laughs> you know, Doug, I always say that there's no such thing as a bad dragon, only bad owners. <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> dragons don't kill people. People kill people. Yeah. So why this, this really? When I watched this, it really initially, certainly, it prompted the question to me: Is how did the Targaryens uh, control the dragons back in the olden days? Well, that's the thing: is nobody knows. So uh, there's yeah. debate in the fandom whether it's uh, <laughs> whether it's uh, like the warging that John does with 
ghosts and yeah that which has been minimized in the show um i mean that's that's probably the more likely candidate that they're they can but the starks can do it with wolves all of them uh but only bran can do it with other things so i don't Mm -hmm. know if it's like she's genetically but can the can the uh other starks the other starks in the show cannot war again or control their wolves directly you know they i don't think so yeah, I don't I mean, think they can. Well, yeah, even even John with Ghost. I don't know what link John has had with Ghost. They don't really explore that too much, do they? No, I think they're just very loyal, and they seem to know the difference between bad guys and good guys, which uh, that probably wouldn't happen in, in even the smartest wolf. Yeah, there's a crazy theory that, like, uh, well, in the in the book, uh, Arya can still see through... Uh, Nymeria's uh, y- or Nymeria, yeah, that's their wolf. Nymeria, yeah, the wolf they got uh, shooed off in season one when Joffrey bit bit his hand. Uh, she still mm-hmm. dreams of him through his eyes or her eyes, and then she at one point wargs a cat to to beat one of the test the fucking uh, that in the House of the Black and White. So she can warg other things besides just her wolf. But yeah, you're right. W- warging is not a thing the Starks can do in the show besides brand. So that's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah it's a so, mystery. And this is uh, actually, this scene is uh, kind of double maudlin is what I was referring to earlier with the burn girl. I mean, I get that we have to know that these dragons are being bad monkeys and they have to be put away, but then the crying puppy noises and all that stuff. I mean, some of it was just kind of like, I think it was kind of contrary to the spirit of the books where it's just a brutal world. It's not, um, things aren't framed to, to elicit sympathy, which I think is sometimes the show slips into. Absolutely, but I think it's effective yeah. for some people. I remember uh, coworkers yes. complaining and saying, "Oh my God, when she locked up her dragons, it was like you know locking no, up my a, puppy in the cage." Before no, there's I have no to question work. about it. This is this is catering to the casual viewer. No question about it. Yeah. Uh, if, but if you've read the thing and or you're kind of someone who uh, is not an uh, adult, kind of laughs at, at puppets on the TV. You know, um, and never understood why your wife cries in every single episode of Grey's Anatomy. Uh, that tends to, to uh, annoy you. You know, my wife loves Grey's Anatomy. She would never cry. Yeah, got it. Uh, All right. So yeah, yes. Go ahead. So, uh, so next, it's funeral time up north. Or did you have something else to say about the last scene? No, I think I was just interrupting you to interrupt you for some reason. Oh, okay. So next, it's funeral time up north uh, at King's Watch or Knights. Yeah, King's Watch. Yeah, we'll call uh, it King's Watch now that Stannis is there. Yeah, why not? Um, old man, uh, what's his name? Uh, the old man Targaryen. E-bomb's world. Yeah, E-bomb's world is delivering a eulogy regarding the dead king's uh, knights. What the hell am I saying here? I don't know. We should take this from the top. <laughs> what the hell are the, the dudes who are at the wall? The Night's Watch. Yeah, that's what, okay. That's what he I said King's Watch, but that's that's fine. Yeah, yeah don't worry Same thing. That. Okay. Yeah. Okay, take it from the top. Okay, here we go. So next, it's uh, funeral time, and the old man is uh, delivering the eulogy to the dead Night Watch bros. Quite a bit of dead bros. Uh, the uh, Sam and some other John light up the pyre, burning the men uh, during the funeral. And in the middle of this, Mel and John kind of see each other, and you have snippets of ominous music. Yep. So uh, I'll continue on unless you want to say anything about that. No, nah, I mean it was just weird. Like it was very unnatural and like very like ham-fisted foreshadowing that hey, this relationship between these two people is going to yeah. be important. Other than that, yep. nothing else to say. Mm-hmm. 
And I wouldn't trust uh, Master Eamon with fire. I mean, the guy can't oh, see. Oh, yeah. He can't, I mean, yeah. It's not safe. Nope. Uh, so next, John goes to see Torment. Torment is confused as to why the Night's Watch uh, helped him heal him. Torment wants to know what will be done for, to him. He theorizes that he might be thrown off the wall. John doesn't really know because it's up to Stannis at that point. Uh, John asks Tormund whether he wants to say prayers for his dead, but Tormund uh, kind of laughs at this question because the dead can't uh, hear the prayers. Uh, Tormund then tells, uh, then asks John whether Egret loved him or whether John loved Egret. He tells John Egret loved him, and uh, mostly through uh, the fact that she wanted to kill him so badly. Uh, John then, uh, and then Tormund also tells John that Egret should be buried north of the wall, even though she'd been trying to get south of the wall for quite some time. Uh, John then drags her corpse beyond the wall and starts burninating her body while he walks away mopily, dropping the torch again, kind of maudlin scene yeah. uh, to finish it out. And uh, I just, I mean, that this is specifically designed to tug at heartstrings. There's no. Yeah, this no, is some Disney. Emotional yes. manipulation bullshit, and it it, yep. it didn't work on me obviously because I'm a grown ass man. But anyway, hard <laughs> I'm hard as nails. I was born on the street. <laughs> anyway, uh, I did like Tormund's like um, duality here. Uh, kind of it, it seemed. I don't know if it was intentional or or not, but he's just like the you say some words. I don't say prayers over a dead body, fucking pussy. Anyway, could you take her up north? Because that's where her body really belongs. No, yeah, didn't even really put that together. <laughs> no, I, I noticed that immediately. I was like, "Wow, he seems to be downplaying how sentimental the Southerners are about saying words over the dead bodies." No, the dead can't hear you, but somehow the dead do appreciate being buried in one plot of dirt fifty yards away from another plot of dirt. Fuck them. Yeah, that is preposterous. Yep, no question. Okay, so moving on. Uh, yeah, there's not much to say here. I think that wraps up the north before we move on. Uh, yeah, that's it. A little bow. Well, north at the wall. North at the wall. We don't know what's going to... Yeah, it's not the far north, but uh, don't really know what Stannis is going to do now that he's at the wall. Um, yeah, obviously, we'll find out, but um, it's interesting. I mean, uh, as, a, as a casual viewer, I would think, what's going to happen now? Like... Um, yeah. I, yeah, and you know what, Doug? This, this is what they did really well this this episode in general is they left cliffhangers yeah. while tying things up, and none of it felt like too cheap or uh, just like trying to make you go, "Oh no, what's going to happen next?" Instead, like things happen to people, they're in new places, and now it's it's not like a like a Walking Dead cheap uh, Glenn death or like no, you know, it's something. Yeah. It's it's interesting. <laughs> it's it's more like it's not like. Oh God! What's going to happen? Like the a cliffhanger? It's more. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder how that's going to play out. Like, uh, it's not shock or it doesn't seem cheap at all. You're absolutely right. I mean, mm-hmm. Stannis is now going to interact with John and the rest of the Night's Watch. That's just interesting. Um, yeah. Danny locking up her dragons, not so much. I mean, I, but we feel that, or at least I do. Uh, Danny is kind of shoehorned into a, a lot of these episodes uh, because she really doesn't interact with other people in the show that we care about mm-hmm. until later in the seasons, obviously when Tyrion and Varys and all that shit starts happening in Marine. But uh, she's kind of doing her own thing. Uh, but they try to pigeonhole her in. But uh, I guess the cliffhanger there is she's locking up her babies. Oh, no. Um, so that's not so good. But there's a couple other ones. We'll get to them. Yeah. Okay, so going back up further north, uh, Hodor is pulling Bran along in a blizzard while uh, Mira and Jojen try to keep up. Jojen's having a tough time. They're struggling, uh, but they're almost there. 
Uh, and the blizzard clears and the sun comes out to illuminate uh, the weirwood tree that Bran saw in his visions atop a rock and there's a cave entrance beneath it. Uh, and they start making their way before they get there. Skellington's attack and they pop up from the ice below them and it, uh, Harryhausen type, uh, you know, stop motion fight ensues and uh, Bran wargs into Hodor and starts kicking ass. Mira and Jojen fight to stay alive uh and you know lots of lots of action i guess quote unquote uh and a fallen skeleton that's headless slowly sneakily pulls out a knife from its sheath and starts repeatedly stabbing jojen in the chest um and mira saves him uh or stops the guy from stabbing him some more and before Bran's body is attacked by two skeletons, uh, bombs come in and a child of the forest is throwing tree bombs at him or something and uh, saves the group, allows them to retreat inside the cave where Mira um, slits her brother's throat because he's going to die anyway. Uh, but they all make it inside the cave and I guess there's some kind of spell protecting the entrance because skeletons can't come in it. They come in, they fall apart to bones. And uh, then the child of the forest, who's a lot less sexy than the new child of the forest, I got to say, uh, <laughs> invites them in and uh, introduces them to the three-eyed raven, who turns out to be an old dude stuck in some roots. He says he's been watching all of them their whole lives since they were born, which is real creepy. Uh, and Bran says, "Can I? you going to help me walk again? He's like, nope, but you will fly. So... Yeah, I, I, I like the scene. Um, the cool shot of the tree. You finally get the sense that this goof troop is doing something. Uh, the them kind of plodding up to the, the, the tree and then the sudden attack I thought was really jarring, uh, surprisingly intense. I did not expect it when it happened. I thought it was badass. Um, but I did wonder, where were these tree rats in the beginning of the fight? I don't know how they wouldn't have known, especially because the the three-eyed raven that's in the tree like should know yeah. everything does know everything why yeah that's the problem with dealing again, with a psychic you're always like well how you knew i was coming like how'd you yeah. know how'd you not why know does it, why doesn't miss cleo call me <laughs> exactly um, so, but uh, then again i wasn't too sad as too sad to see uh jojen bite it he was kind of a snooze um so but the, but the one thing that was odd i thought is the change in pace of the whites um, because I think in every scene that we that we've seen with whites involved, they're kind of slow moving and not uh, really aggressive. Suddenly, in here, it's like twenty eight days later, where they're crazy fast. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I agree with you one hundred percent. I don't. Uh, this felt weird. Like I understand that they, it would it would make sense that they're skeletons because they've been in the ground for way too long. And I'm saying skeleton. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Yep. Uh, <laughs> But it, and so it, it makes sense because the bodies have probably been there for a long, long time and all their flesh is probably gone instead of, you know, having died recently. But I feel like you're right. The The motion was just weird. It was really fast and it felt like stop motion, even though I know it wasn't. It had to have been CGI. It had to have been computers. It wasn't like somebody. No, it was actually like dudes in green suits. Yeah. Well, uh, well that's yeah. CGI with motion, mocap. Is, yeah. Oh, no, they mocapped it. Yeah. Mocap. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but it just seemed herky-jerky. You're right. The physics seemed off. They seemed to be running fast as fuck. Um, it, it's- and actually, the, the guy who, uh, the special effects guy who did this, or might have been the director, He, uh, he his inspiration for this scene was the Jason and the Argonauts or whatever. Yeah, thing, Ray Harryhausen. 
Yeah, so he did it and kind of copied it, but I thought it was out of line compared to our first, our initial impressions of of Skellington. So, I would agree. I would agree. It just seemed well, like a weird I, break. I but I did think it was a really cool scene and, and jarring and interesting, and uh, so I kind of liked it nonetheless. I liked it too. Uh, I think the most jarring thing to me was the bombs, the like the children of the forest grenades. Yeah, yeah. acorn nades. Yeah, whatever. I don't. Uh, I don't Spirits. know. Uh, I get up. Yeah. But let's <clears throat> talk about Jojen dying. So in the books, uh, they all make it inside alive and everything's fine. But Jojen is kind of not around or Brandon hasn't seen him in a while and the children of the forest just keep bringing him some kind of paste uh they say it's acorn paste but it looks like blood uh and it's hinted at that brand might be slowly eating jojen as like a oh, weird God. human sacrifice in order to unlock his whatever third eye so jojen is technically still alive in the books uh so it's weird. Obviously, the show just isn't going to explore that at all. And there's another. Yeah, well, there are no albinos nearby. To eat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, and and that's the thing. It all goes to goes to this thing where we don't know if Blood Raven, aka the Three Eyed Crow slash Three Eyed Raven, is a good guy or a bad guy, or more likely just gray. Uh, we don't know what his intentions are because he was a pretty sinister character. Uh, when he was part of the story a hundred years earlier, so yeah, gotcha. So next we go to Pot and Brienne, and they're apparently sleeping in more somewhere in the north. Not entirely sure where. Actually, uh, that, we do know they're somewhere around ten miles from the Bloody Gate. Uh, Brienne goes to look for the horses uh, because apparently Pod did not lock them well enough uh, up well enough. And surprise of surprises, finds uh, Arya uh, water dancing in the hound who is apparently pooping. Uh, Brienne asks for directions to the Bloody Gate. Is told it's ten miles away. Brienne and Arya kind of bond for a moment over their swords and how they're uh, women fighters and how their fathers didn't want them to fight. The Hound then emerges and Pod re- Pod recognizes him. And at this point, Brienne realizes it's Arya Stark. De- it describes her vow to protect Cat and her family, which she failed because uh, she was taking Jamie to the Lannister. Hound begins questioning her loyalty by realizing that she has a, a Lannister sword. And so Arya tells uh, Brienne to scamper. She's not interested. The the uh, bloody gate's 10 miles that way. Hound says no dice and runs over there to – runs kind of runs down how there's no safety out, out in the world based on all the things that have happened. And Brienne, which apparently doesn't recognize or hadn't thought through, and if Brienne doesn't know the score apparently at this time, then she's the wrong person to be looking after Arya. Uh, then a uh, epic, brutal sword fight begins. Uh, Brienne is getting the best of uh, the Hound, um, but shows him mercy by allowing him to by saying, uh, "I don't want to kill you, sir." At that point, the Hound bounces back, uh, and it's just a brutal hand-to-hand combat. Sword or uh, punches in the face of the rocks, and so on and so forth. Again, difficult to describe uh, physical combat, but Brienne eventually does prevail, uh, mostly by beating the Hound in the face with a rock. Uh, but at, at the same time, Arya has scampered away. Pod's lost track of her. Arya's hidden, and um, he emerges to find the Hound beaten down. Uh, the Hound encourages Arya to go find Brienne for help, but Arya stubbornly refuses. Then uh, asks if she remembers where the heart is and asks her to go ahead and kill him. It's apparently it's an opportunity for her to cross a name off her list. When she refuses, he attempts to taunt her into killing him, brings up the butcher's boy and how he should have uh, raped his, her sister. And so um, 
at this point, uh, Arya just watches him kind of die for a little while and then takes his money, leaving him begging for his life. And so that's kind of the scene. So let me ask you this, Doug. Mm-hmm. Did you think him, her leaving him, that was an act of cruelty, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. That's, this is yeah, an act of hatred. Like, yeah. she's definitely conflicted. Uh, and mm-hmm. she kind of got to do both things. Uh, and by what I mean is she got to show him mercy uh, by not killing him. And also she does kill him by doing nothing or, you know what I mean? Or, or letting him die slowly. Cause I feel like she's conflicted because there's definitely some mutual respect there. I mean, she, he was on her list. He's probably one of the oldest ones, but they have kind of been a team like, and she has cared for him. There was that sympathetic moment where uh, she cleaned out his wound after him telling her how his brother fucking viciously abused him as a child, um, burning his face, getting him, you know, yeah. to that situation. So there's definitely conflict there, but yes, ultimately this was an act of cruelty for certain. Well, you know, I think even though his goal is to ransom her off to her family member, I think she, he has been protecting her. Okay. So that, I want to get into all that. So this is okay. show invention. We don't see the hound, um, and Brienne face off. That just doesn't happen. I think right. the hound, uh, you know, it's, it's another fight or he gets wounded in some other way. I think with the, maybe the, I can't remember who cares. Uh, but I did like this because Arya and Brienne kind of get along in a friendly way until the hound comes in and ruins it. And she realizes that, you know, uh, Brienne is, it's called in the question. Brienne's loyalty. She does have a Lannister sword, big gold lion's head on the pommel. Um, I thought that was great. Yeah. I thought the fight was amazing. Uh, you didn't mention the cunt kick or uh new word. We learned minge. There was a, there was, so Brienne punches <laughs> the hound well, it's actually, and the balls. It's actually referred to as the sea punt. The sea uh, punt. Oh, cunt well, punt. That's what it is. Yeah. I can, I can, we can say that it's a adult podcast. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, Great stuff. I I will say I enjoyed the shit out of the scene, and it was all show invention. So, bravo D and D. Um, you know I give you shit, but uh, this was a great show. To be invention. honest, the the brutality of it was a little over the top for my taste, but I realize that's my taste alone. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it seemed like people are trying to kill each other. Like. Uh, <laughs> I don't see how it can get any more brutal than that. Like, if people lose their swords and they're trying to kill each other, they're going to kill each other with rocks like cavemen. It seems yeah. completely in-world and it seems fine. Oh, it does. Absolutely. I, no question. It's just my delicate sensibilities. Oh, Jesus. Dude, nuclear. But yeah, I, I did like this. The Hound is definitely showing, like, care of Arya. And it, it's true. Like, he's being honest there. I feel like he's being 100% honest. And, uh, yeah, where is Brienne going to take Arya? She hadn't even I, thought of this out. Like, she's just like, oh, I've got to find her and protect her. And then go where? Are you just going to protect her for the rest of her life as you guys scamper about? What? Yeah, and the, the whole uh, Brienne path in the book is so much different. I mean, it's impossible to even start getting into. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, she doesn't have like He's absolutely right. I, they're all screwed, and she doesn't have any idea as to how screwed everyone is. So... And I don't even know what is what is the hounds plan at this point. Uh I don't know because I think the last time we saw them was when they left the bloody gate, so they hadn't really thought about it. Yeah, um, I don't know what else is left. And I guess 
it, we we do cut to Arya later, but I guess her plan is just to go north at some point. Maybe I guess to see Jon Snow. I don't. I don't. Well, know that's what she. Like, that's what she yeah. says at the end of the episode. She she yeah. when she gets on the boat. Spoiler alert. She's gonna get on a boat later. But uh, she she says, "Take me up north to the wall." And the guy's like, "Nope." Uh, I so that's she where she said up north. I didn't. I didn't recall her saying. Uh, uh, I think I, I think it was. I don't know. Possible. It might have been implied. I, I don't know. You're absolutely right. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think I, my biggest problem is not the divergence um, with what Brienne does with the show. I just don't like how Brienne's character in the show is so much different than in the in the book. In the book, she's like almost like a child. She has this. She's a very skilled swordsman uh, and fighter. She just is kind of naive to the point of almost being childlike. Um, and it's that uh, naivete. Know, I think she is naive in this show. No, she's uh, well. She's too capable in everything. She's very confident. Like the the Brienne in the book is very insecure about everything except for fighting. And I feel like you know she just shits all over Pod in this situation and Pod's an app just to have a whatever manufactured relationship between the two. Yeah. Um, but they're almost of a level in the book, you know what I mean? Like Pod is a child and she's like a child, um, gotcha. so I, I, it's not as endearing. Uh, but still, it, this is good shit. Uh, I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Okay, let me just take a sip here because we're gonna get into the next scene, which is epic. Okay, so uh, Tyrion is. I guess chilling, sleeping um, in his cell, and he's disturbed by somebody entering the door. So, uh, and he's like, "Just get it over with." So, was he a fear? Was afraid that I got to stop here? Was he afraid that somebody was going to kill him because he's already scheduled for execution? I I don't know. Maybe he. I don't think there's any sense of time down where he is because it's dark a lot. So maybe. He thought, uh, he he thought that taken. now it's time for execution, maybe? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's not kind of what I thought. I guess so. Anyway, uh, it's Jamie, and Jamie's there to help him, and he says he's got a boat waiting in the harbor, and Varys is helping him out as well, so Tyrion's got more friends. So even though Varys sold him out on the stand, he's still Tyrion's good buddy. Uh, so he leads Tyrion down a series of tunnels with some you know exciting escape music. Um, tells Tyrion to leave out a specific door and knock several times or something. Varys will be waiting. And then he says farewell. Um, they say, you know, love you, whatever. And then Jamie runs off, which hold here for a Jamie rant. Um, but then we go on after Jamie leaves, Tyrion for some reason just decides to take a detour. Uh, he ends up in the Tower of the Hand in his old chambers, now Tywin's. And he finds Shay asleep on the bed. She wakes when she hears somebody enter the room calling for her lion. Uh, and that's not Tyrion. So she notices that, that it is Tyrion and not Tywin uh, and leaps for a knife. But Tyrion is quick, jumps on her. And there is a brief struggle before Tyrion gets the upper hand and strangles Shay to death with a necklace. Uh, and he also, after that's done, apologizes to her corpse. Then he grabs a. So actually, let, let's, we stop, can stop, let's stop here because okay. yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack here. So first of all, I th- do you think it's interesting? Varys is helping. Um, I, I wonder if he's kind of been in the background the whole time because he would have to testify to keep up appearances, obviously before yeah, the court. Absolutely. So I, I I would think that um, if he is involved in this, then this has probably been his intention from the get go. Even though maybe Jamie fortuitously jumped in or was interested in helping, but I kind of, 
I kind of think, especially based on the later episodes where Varys talks about how, how Tyrion's the only one who can save the world or whatever the hell, um, this was kind of in the works from the, the beginning. And in the book, both these characters, or all these characters, are just so much more capable. Uh, in yeah. the book, Varys uh, moonlights in costume as a different person who's a jailer in yes. the black cells. So he's playing a long con. I can't I can't say that enough. Varys is pretending to be a jailer, like a, a minimum wage guard in the jail cells just in case something like this happens. Yeah. He's been crazy. doing it for years. Yeah. And then the, the tunnels that we see, uh, apparently these tunnels have been here the whole time, is my understanding. It's, it's oh, back yeah. when the Red Keep was, was built, and Varys is the one who knows all of these tunnels, and that's how he's known these things where people have had conversations that they had no idea how Varys would find out or have the information. And this is the explanation for it, even though I don't know that. Yeah, and, and it doesn't show Varys of being uh, in the know. He's just a bumbling idiot, which is it's yeah. fucking character assassination, in my opinion. So let's get right into it. So, well, no, no, so I, I still want to still have like what, what Shay's reaction. So I want to I want to back up even before then I want to talk about Jamie. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Go okay. Ahead. So Jamie frees Tyrion like it is in the book, but things go sour in the book to uh, so much. Uh, like I can't. I, I just can't uh, overstate this enough. Uh, Jamie uh, is trying to be a better person, so he comes clean with Tyrion as he's helping him escape. He's like, "Listen, I got to tell you the truth about something." That girl that you married and fell in love with, that dad made you rape. <laughs> yes. And made me, he, it, was, it was a lie. She wasn't a whore. She was actually a girl who actually loved you. And um, Tywin just had me make up the whole thing and go along with it and lie to you and say she was a prostitute. So for those of you who don't remember, uh, we get this story and I think season one, she tells he tells it to Shay. That he like actually had a girlfriend. She, he met her. They had a torrid affair, uh, and he got married at the age of thirteen. And then his dad found out about it, and <laughs> mate uh, had his entire whatever uh, entire barracks, like fifty dudes, have sex with this woman, saying she was a prostitute, um, and then made Tyrion have sex with her as well. It's some next level fucked up bullshit. But they they told this story in the show. And, yes, it did. Yeah, and oh, she, they alluded to it several times. Yes. Yeah, but Jay, in the in the book, Jamie tells him here now, and Jamie says that it was a lie. Dad was just being an asshole, and Tyrion. This is too much for Tyrion to deal with. Shay was just a shadow of this love that he had for this girl in the book and the show. She's he's actually in love with her as a person, but this pisses Tyrion off to no end. He says. We are done. If I see you again, I'm going to kill you, Jamie. So that's how they end in the book. He Tyrion wants mm-hmm. to fucking kill his brother. Uh, so we get none of that. It's more like in the show, it's all, okay, see you, bro. See ya. It, uh, so that's a little bit of a, a fucking fuck you. But this hatred for not only Jamie, for his father, is what compels him to take this detour into the hand's chamber. Finding out that his dad lied about his former wife being a whore. And, uh, you know, the horrible things. So that, that, that shows the motive. There's more motivation for Tyrion to make this move. Yeah, there is any motivation because this, there was no reason I thought for 
for him to go up to the chamber. I mean, was he going to yell at his dad? I mean, what was he going to do? Yeah, what was I don't plan? know. What was the original plan? You're absolutely right. What was the original plan? Why did he go in there? Like, if, if Shay wasn't in there, if his dad was in there, was he going to kill his dad anyway? I don't know. I don't, he didn't have a weapon or anything. I didn't know that he had a way to do it. Um, so, yeah, they, they butchered this. and It completely removed the motivation behind the scene. Yeah, and then uh, Varys was the one who told him how to get there. Varys is like... Oh, you want to go the the hands the the tower of the hand? Oh, I don't yeah. think that's a good idea. But if you were gonna go, it's up this level about 120 feet, and then you take a turn or two rights, and then you go. So Varys basically told him exactly how to navigate these yes. underground secret tunnels in order to get to his father, as if Varys wanted Tyrion to kill his dad. Which once again that that shows Varys as being capable. And here in the show, he's just a bumbling idiot waiting at a fucking door. Ooh. Yeah, so I mean, it removes this whole layer of motivation, the whole layer of, of screwed upness. And the uh, I read online that D and D wrote this episode, and they thought that the viewer would not be able to comprehend what was going on, um, which is preposterous because they spent four or five minutes with Tyrion telling a story about smashing beetles last week. I don't. Yeah, they, they could have absolutely had enough backstory. In a moment or two of dialogue to actually want to provide. This is like. But all it would have taken was they've already told the initial story about uh, Tyrion's first wife. They just had to remind us of that. Yes. You remember uh, your story about your wife, Taisha? She actually loved you. Uh, we, you, Your dad made me have to agree to this rape thing. And that's, I mean, expand that by a few words and you, and you pretty much got it. Uh, yeah. And then once again, it's an assassination of Jamie. Once again, it's, it's Jamie's character not doing anything, just being milk toast and just there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like Jamie yeah. being punished for being a good person. That is, right. that's ultimately that's, that's, that's so powerful. Being a good person gets you, gets you punished, but you still do it anyway. It's so, it's so beautiful and it's so much more powerful than this. I hate it. Yeah, and so then the other thing is um, Shay being present. I don't think we knew what Shay's motivation was, but I think that her being in Tywin's bed uh, seals the deal that she's just there to be comfortable. She's a gold digger. Um, I I I misinter- I'm interpreted in the show as she wanted. She just hated Tyrion that much. She just felt so betrayed by him that she wanted to almost hurt him. Yeah. So. I, I I mean I guess she her use of the the term my lion it's such a betrayal to Tyrion it's hard for me to not think that she was out just to be comfortable the entire time um, because if she did feel sincerely towards Ty, Tyrion I don't think she would have used his pet nickname for his dad well he's, you know after uh, betraying him as with his dad but I I mean I do see the the, the argument that she was just. Uh, out to get him yeah we don't know i I agree with you it's fucked up we don't know so i want to say that but i want to this is my interpretation of the show is she was always just um a gold digging whore until she met Tyrion, and then really fell in love and then when Tyrion, uh whatever when she felt like Tyrion betrayed her by making her leave with this like go puppy dog i don't love you i don't need you anymore and throwing rocks at it uh scene that we got i feel like she was like fuck it i'm gonna double down on this whole uh i'm just i'm just gonna do whatever to please whoever like uh well, that's that's annoying because she's so stupid that i mean beyond stupidity anybody who couldn't have just seen that she was a Tyrion was trying to get her to lead to save her life uh well that, we were frustrated straight. with that we were frustrated with that all like four or five seasons that it was like this is dangerous and she's like no it's not dangerous no oh, my lion 
Ugh. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, yeah. so we get that she I, dies. Um, I will just say that he strangles her in the show, as in the books, with her necklace. But the thing was in the in the book, it was the chain of offense office. So the the hand of the king wore a necklace of linked hands, and mm-hmm. uh, he strangled her with that uh, chain of office. In the show, the hand of the king wears a pin. Yes. Yeah, we saw the pin in the picture. Yeah, but he didn't yeah. stab her with the pin. No, you know, that in the show, cool. he, yeah, that would have been. That's what I thought it was going with. I was like, oh, since, oh, yeah. uh, you know, still a deadly weapon. Anyway, so after uh, he apologizes to Shay's corpse for killing her, uh, he grabs a crossbow and shambles down the hall. He finds his father Tywin taking a number two on a toilet, um, and he has a crossbow. He aims it at his dad. Tywin tries to talk his way out of it, uh, but Tyrion keeps the crossbow trained on him. Uh, Tywin tries to sweet talk Tyrion saying, oh, is this about trying to kill you? I was never going to let you die. You're a Lannister. You're my son. There's no way. Um, and then Tyrion talks about how he loved her. He's asked who he said Shay and he just killed her with her own hands. And he's like, ah, no big deal. She was just a whore. This doesn't make Tyrion happy. He says, don't use that word again. Uh, Tywin eventually does, uh, in a long sort of ranting, uh, and Tyrion shoots him. Tywin can't believe what happened, and then calls Tyrion no son of his, which Tyrion refutes, saying, I am your son, and shoots him a second time. Uh, Tywin dies. Shocker. Uh, Tyrion finally meets up with Varys at the door, as Varys was just sitting around twiddling his thumbs like an idiot, waiting for Tyrion to show up. And, and he says, what have you done? And but how would you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't ask questions yet. This is too crazy. Okay. So, uh, he escorts him to the boat. Um, <laughs> Vary's about to go back in the city, but, uh, Oh, alarm bells are going off. Varys can't leave. And he resigns himself to being on the boat and leaving town with Tyrion, who is currently hidden in a box. Oh, I didn't even really pick up on that, but that makes sense as to why they gather the rest of the show. Yeah, they they pan uh-huh. to a box with holes in it, like a, you know, like when a like a child wants to mail their cat to Abu Dhabi or something. What? You know, like that how was, like a do- like you see. Okay, it's not something that happens in real life. It's like people getting trapped inside of refrigerators. This is something that like cartoons has told me. It's like, hey, if you're gonna mail a living thing, put some holes in it, and that's exactly. What? I think it's the same prop that uh, that he had the sorcerer cut off his. Dangus. Oh wow! And, yeah, yeah. that would be a huge callback. That's. But I'm not sure if it's intended to be or whether they just had a, a box with holes. They in probably it unintentional. Nearby. Yeah. Yeah, um, I did not pick up on that. That's the reason that uh, Varys is on the travel with uh, with train. But that that's a good that's a good. You call. didn't see it because he started to head back to the 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 thing and he saw the. He heard the bells and he's yeah, like, but oh. how, how does Varys not get back in there? I, you know, um, I, you would think that if, if Varys wanted to, he'd be back in there, but it makes sense. Yeah, I no guess you're, you're absolutely right. What yeah. I mean in the, in the book, he does disappear, but he doesn't even leave the city. We don't think cause he ends up killing, um, Kevin Lannister, um, yeah. with children. So who knows? Yeah. I, I, I wondered, uh, if Tywin's, uh, offer or, or statements at that point, before being murdered were true in that he would have figured out a way to keep Tyrion alive now that he has no, uh, no heirs because Jamie's a sister beggar. Uh, I, w- I kind of wondered about that, but I, th- I, from what I read online, I think most of the opinion is that he was just trying to 
Linus hate his uh, skin because he's been torturing Tyrion his whole life and has kind of admitted that he kind of wants him dead. That's what I took. I took it as he was just lying. He was just yeah. kind of trying to save his own ass. I mean, yeah, he's, he's definitely post- a hypocrite, but because he's sleeping with a prostitute after giving Tyrion so much shit for years. <laughs> yeah, about no it. question. And the specific prostitutes, it's like that's yep. downfall. Um, and, uh, in the books, I think he was only shot with one bolt and it went through his bowels, pierced his bowels and all this poop ran out, which is kind of like the most ignominious yeah. death that you could possibly have, especially for like a, a powerful man. Um, and the conspiracy, the downfall- uh, real quick, the conspiracy theory goes deeper and it's, it, he thinks that uh, people think that the reason why Tywin was on the shitter to begin with is because he was poisoned by um, the Viper. Huh. Okay. The Viper was trying to get uh, vengeance on everybody. And this kind of has some legs because they play it up uh, during Tywin's vigil in the Sept. Um, uh-huh. His body really smells. It really stinks. And it's, it's commented by like 10 different people. Uh, so gotcha. these people, these people have been around dead bodies. Joffrey just died before and they didn't comment on the smell and the putrid nature of the body. Uh, but Tywin's they do. So I think that, that would be, it'd be like an, a, a ambiguous detail that George R. R. Martin wrote though in, in the book. Yeah. And obviously they're not going to yeah. do on the show. I'm sorry. I interrupted yeah. you. What? Yeah, no problem. Um, also it's, it's, uh, this scene just really, for me, it hit home as to how Tywin, Everything he says is about family and honor and carrying on the family name and how uh, he worked has, has worked so hard to maintain the reputation of the family. And it's just such a fucking shit show uh, behind the scenes. It's um, it, That resulted in him being killed by his own child. Really uh, interesting stuff, I think. Well, maybe he, he he's just better at hiding his shame than Tyrion. <laughs> like, maybe he's better at keeping secrets. I guess so. All, All right, right, so now we go back to the north, and Arya is on a horse. She rise, arrives at some docks, attempts to negotiate passage to the north, uh, and uh, I guess probably to see Jon Snow, I think is what we decided on. Uh, the captain says he's going to Bravos, and Arya shows him her coin and says the magic words, much to his surprise. Uh, captain gives her a cabin, and uh, we see a shot of Arya on a boat and she's moving around as, as uh, she departs her old life and sets sail for her new life as a blind street rat. <laughs> yeah. This plays out almost exactly like it does in the books, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Um, I did appreciate that it was called salt flax flats in the book mm-hmm. and the people were loading up piles of salt. Oh yeah. Yeah, they were absolutely. I wonder what that was, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. I guess, uh, I thought it was odd that he, we don't have anything for you, and then he gives her a cabin. I understand that the coin has power, but I don't know why the coin would have that much power. But whatever. Well, it's it's funny uh, in the in the book when she's on the trip over there, like all the guys are for Bravos, and we don't know much about the House of Black and White and these assassins or these faceless men, but yeah. the people are like, "Hey, he have this yo-yo or have this." Uh, I just w- needed you a sweater. My name's Doug. Remember my name. My name's Doug. Hey, hey, look, it's you. Uh, hey, That's this is right. Doug. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the faceless men cannot kill somebody they know. Oh, okay. So Got that's it. that's a cool little detail that we learn in the books. We don't get any of that in the show, but uh, yeah, what we get is that people respect free people from Bravos have uh, an astronomical respect for the faceless men, and they'll do basically or just anything. Fear, yeah. Uh, well, it could be fear as well. Respect, yeah. fear, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, th- this is very. This was meant to be very uplifting. Were you uplifted by this Arya scene? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, I think I was emotionally drained after this episode. Yeah, because so much happened. This this is a really good one, Doug. I mean, I, I think this is a top fiver for me. Ah, uh, this is a very good episode, but I feel like it's 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 the cl- it's book three, and book three had so many payoffs. It had three, you know, well, two and and most of book three of all these storylines, and they just all paid off at the same time. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. it was some great stuff. Um, yeah, and the absolutely. show did a good job. So, bravo to the show. All right, so let's give it our um, our ratings. Uh, I'm going to give it a four. I can't give it a four point five. I'm sorry. I, I think I'm with you. I think it's a it's a four for me. It's not a top three, but it might be a top five, definitely top ten. So on the uh, bell curve for that, mm-hmm. that's got to be a four. I think definitely not a big and tasty. No, not a big and tasty. Probably. Uh, what have I made recently that was good? A Buford, uh, a big Buford. Yeah, that's precisely it. Big Buford with a $2 shrimp and fries and whatever the hell else they throw in the goddamn box. God, do they have shrimp at uh, Checkers? Oh, I'm sure they do. <laughs> it's disgusting. So, I, 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 for real, though, have you ever been to a Long John Silver's? I, it's, don't no, go. Don't ever go. Uh, but no. I went like six years ago and I got a platter and you couldn't tell. Like it was like you couldn't tell the fried fish from the fried chicken from the fried. Yeah. Ugh. It's awful. I've only, I, I've only been to the drive-thru once, and I didn't want the food. And uh, a couple of friends of ours, uh, well, one's a friend. The other one we know. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding, creepy. Um, he actually enjoyed He was excited about it, but this was 20 years ago. And no way. Creepy was, was a fan of Long John Silver's? Yes, he and uh, the other guy. Actually, Jermaine. Him and Jermaine were excited oh, to go Jesus to Long John Silver's. Christ. Back uh, in roughly... Uh, 2000 and uh, I did not get food from that. Yeah, it's probably uh, I, a smart move. I don't like fish though. To be honest, I don't like really like fish. Oh, what do you so. eat on Good Friday? Uh, hamburger sandwiches. Yeah, it's probably a good move. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, this uh, was episode 52, so that is one year worth of podcast. We'll be celebrating our one year anniversary next week. Exciting. Has it felt like a year? Boy, yeah. You're playing fast and loose with the word worth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes it actually seems much longer. it does seem like we've been doing this shit forever uh, uh, thank you uh, listener thank you mom thank you uh, Brian's mom for listening you guys make this all worth it <laughs> and I guess we'll be back with uh, one of the worst seasons ever season 5 next week get excited Brian are you excited do you remember Dorn <laughs> could I be any more excited <laughs> Uh, That's my Chandler. Yeah. All right, we got to go. Pretty good. All right. uh, We'll see you guys next week and uh, take care. I guess. Brian, say goodbye. Save me. Just cut it off, you idiot. Fuck you.